You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You know, uh, last couple Wednesdays, we've talked about uh, prayer. We talked about uh, parts of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And he, he said, this is an example to you. This is a pattern, not to just keep repeatedly pray it, but he taught us a pattern, a, a type of prayer. And we talked about that last Wednesday. Before that, we talked about how you have heartfelt prayer. And the difference between a heartfelt prayer and a head prayer comes down to not just listening to the Word of God, but retaining the Word of God. And the difference between, and I've, this is about the third or fourth time I've said this, because faith cometh by hearing and hearing the Word of God, and we have to hear things three or four times to retain them. And that's why it's important that we do repetition uh, uh, when we read, that we read again and again and again. But the difference between listening and retaining and actually going from a praying a prayer out of your head and one out of your heart, the difference in between that is caring and loving God. Because when you really care about somebody and you really love them, you don't just hear what they say, you retain what they say. It becomes part of you. It's something that you, it goes beyond just listening to say, yes, yeah, that's right. We'll have a conversation. You retain it. You put it in your heart and say, I won't forget you said that to me. I won't forget that you, that uh, that happened or this situation or this, you have this problem you want me to help you with or there's a, there's something you deeply care about. I won't forget to pray because we care. We care, and we'll retain information in our heart. And that's what God said about serving him is the difference between listening and hearing what he says and actually retaining it is is love, how much we love and care for him. And if we love him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, the first commandment that Jesus said that fulfills the law, if we love him like that, then we're going to retain the information that he gives us. We're going to remember what he says is right and wrong. We're going to remember what he says about this situation or that situation. (coughs) Excuse me. We're going to begin to retain it, and we're going to begin to memorize it, and we're going to let it sink deep into our hearts that when we pray, we pray from our heart. We pray from our heart. First Samuel, Samuel, uh, God says to Samuel, he said, Samuel, you judge and men judge the outside. He said, I judge the inside. I judge the heart. That's where God looks when we pray. As we're coming into a time of fasting and praying, it's very important. It's vital. The Bible teaches us that the heartfelt prayer of a fervent man uh, avails much to God. Otherwise, it moves the kingdom of God. It moves the heart of our God. What I always say is if it's not moving your heart, it's definitely not moving his heart. But if it'll move your heart, it'll move our Father's heart. Amen? Amen. And so how we get it down in there is we've got to really care about the Word of God. We must really care about what He says. You know, it always amazes me when I see people struggle in marriage or struggle in these areas, and God's Word is so full of wisdom to to know how to be successful in all these areas. There's not one area that He doesn't give us wisdom, insight, and knowledge. Revelation, supernatural revelation on how to succeed in that area. But so many people, man, they, they, they just have head knowledge. 
You have to love God enough. And then the second commandment is love others as you love yourself and love others enough to retain that information and then begin to apply it, not just to your prayers, but to your actions in life. And so that we talked about that. We talked about the prayer and, and the time of prayer and fasting, that, we, uh, that the prayer part is the most important. The Bible doesn't say uh, fast without ceasing. It says pray without ceasing. That fasting doesn't draw God closer to us. It draws us closer to God. That's what it does. We're not twisting or manipulating God into doing something for us because we're fasting. What we're doing is we're humbling ourselves. You know what I've learned about God? If you don't humble yourself, he'll humble you. And it's unpleasant when God begins to humble you. I've been there. It's real. It's not good. Unpleasant's a kind word. That's a civilized word. It really, it's terrible when he begins to humble you. But he said, if, but if you'll humble yourself, fasting is a type of humbling. Humbling is when God said of Moses, he said there wasn't a man more humble in all the earth than Moses. He wasn't talking about someone that walked around with his head down, ashamed of himself. He was talking about some, that, that, when he's talking about being humble, he's talking about being surrendered. So when we fast and pray, we humble ourselves, we humble our flesh, we surrender it to God. And that's, that's, that's the whole point of that, of fasting, is to humble, surrender our flesh and say, I'm going to deny my flesh this because I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to surrender all of me to God. And that moves us closer to him. And what does he say? That if we move closer to him, he'll move closer to us. And that's, what's hap that's what happens. But the prayer is the most important part, but it's not just any old prayer. We learned before we talked about the Our Father, the prayer that they call the Lord's Prayer. It should be called the Disciples' Prayer because it's not, it's not for Jesus. He gave us the pattern of prayer. That we learn from that, that above that, he talks about don't use vain repetition. I don't need fancy words. I don't need many words. What he's, look, what he's trying to point out is I need heartfelt prayer. Heartfelt prayer moves heaven on your behalf. And so we get it in there by loving and caring God enough to get this word deep, deep down inside of us that we retain the knowledge of it. We retain it. You don't have to memorize every scripture and verse. Those things were added by men. It helps to know the addresses so you can find them. But God's more... more uh, He's more um, concerned about you retaining the, word, the knowledge of it, what it says and what it means, and you applying that to your life and praying those things out. Because when you pray heartfelt, there's a confidence that comes with that. When you know you're kind of just going through the motions, man, does anybody know the difference when you're praying, going through the motions, you're praying when it's real heartfelt? It feels different. It really does. It feels different. And he wants every prayer to be heartfelt. Why? Because God's, he has a propensity to be kind, to be generous, to bless, to give. He wants to do those things. That's who he is. And so he wants to move on our behalf. But he, he is only going to move for those whose heart is in their prayers, hearts in their actions, heart is in their repentance. And so we've been talking about those things, but I want to talk about some of the reasons that we fast, we talked, I gave you a list of do's and don'ts last week of fasting, but a lot of the reasons that people fast and pray is because there's an obstacle in the way. 
And I want to I show you in the Word, just real quickly, that you can be in the perfect will of God and an open door can be opened to you that God opened and still have problems. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9 says this. Paul's writing, he says, Regardless, I will remain in Ephesus until the Feast of Pentecost. There's an amazing door of opportunity standing wide open for me to minister here, even though there are many who oppose and stand against me. You know, you can be smack dab in the middle of God's will. You can be walking through an open door, and there still be tons of opposition and obstacles in your way. Tons of them. You know, I told this story to the men at Men's Prayer, and I shared some of this information but one of the things I, I share with them is about a king. There's a story about a king who thought his people were getting soft. He's like, my, my people are soft. You know, prosperity makes you soft. We have had so much prosperity since the, the 1980 and on. We've had so much prosperity that I believe America's become soft. And so we see it all the time. We're softer in so many different areas. And, and so um, this king said, my people have become soft. So he, he put a big, massive rock right just a little ways down from the main gate of the city where everybody had to come to do business and trade and everything had to take place there. He put this massive rock. They couldn't get their carts by it. They could, I mean, they're just, so people driving up to it in their carts and they're going, what in the world is this rock doing here? And most of them see it and just turn and go the other way. And the king positioned himself in a perch in the castle so he could watch. He's just sitting there watching people, and they'll ride up to it. They get out. They look around. They get in their cart and turn away. Some pulled up, the grouchier ones. It's like Portalis. They say, what, they have 15,000 nice people and one grouch or something like that, two or three grouches. They pull up, and they get out. They cuss. They kick the rock. They complain like, who put this rock in the road? And they're complaining and griping. And then they get in their cart and go the other way. They leave. Some walked up to it and saw it and said, maybe we can move it. So they, they, they tried to pull it. They tried to hook the horses to it. They tried to move the rock. They couldn't move the rock. Could not get it out of their way. Couldn't. So they turn and quit and go on. You know what is amazing to me? There's a thing called learned helplessness we're going to talk about tonight. How quickly, when people keep failing over and over again at the same thing, they, they, there's a psychological term called learned helplessness. They, become, they begin to believe that they're helpless and cannot do what is required of them. They can't do it. And that's what happens with this rock. Until one guy comes up to it, and he's, he's got to feed his family. You know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. Well, he's got to feed his family. So he, he, he looks at the rock, and he tries to move it a variety of different ways, can't move it. So all of a sudden, he disappears off into the woods that are nearby, and he comes back with these massive beams. And he starts digging holes and putting these beams under this rock and starting to use those beams as leverage. And he slowly pries it loose. And then he gets it loose, and then he kind of moves it up out of the hole, and then moves it off the road. 
And in the hole, when he looks in the hole, there's a bag of gold. And there's a note from the king. And the note says, it says this, where is it at? Let me find it. Let me find what the note says. It says this, the the obstacle in the path becomes the path. Never forget, within every obstacle is an opportunity to improve our condition. Let me say it again. The obstacle in the path becomes the path. Never forget within every obstacle is an opportunity to improve our condition. You know what's interesting to me about that note is that Marcus Aurelius, if you ever watch Gladiator, it starts with Marcus Aurelius talking to the the guy who ends up being the gladiator. Marcus Aurelius is a real historical figure who wrote that statement. He wrote, the obstacle is the path. He served for 19 years as the Caesar in Rome, and most of those years, just like in the movie, he was at war. He had a plague, he had a famine, he had had nothing but problems the whole time, but he was unflappable. The guy was unmovable. He just kept overcoming and overcoming and overcoming obstacles, and he saw them as opportunities to move forward. That's That's how he took every obstacle he faced. His wife was uh, cheated on him when he was gone one time at war. His, his uh, brother, his stepbrother was like co-emperor, tried to stage a coup against him when he was gone. I mean, this guy faced nothing but obstacles, but it is said of him that he was the greatest Caesar of all time in Rome. But all he had was obstacles. That's all he had. Because he believed, and he wrote this, he wrote a little note to himself, the obstacle is the path. The obstacles, the path, and sometimes when we face obstacles, we're like those people. We gripe, complain, get frustrated, walk away, cuss it. Sometimes we just go, golly, there's nothing I can do about this and walk away. We get a status quo mentality, like this is how it's always been, this is how it'll always be. Others see those obstacles differently. You know what? I, I'm always amazed. I was working in my yard, working on my sprinkler system, and I, you guys know I'm not handy. So, man, it, what takes a professional about two minutes takes me about two hours. And so I'm digging in my yard because I, I just, you know, I want to learn how to do this. And I want to keep paying people to do it. So I'm digging in my yard, and I, I find these broken, uh, uh, you know, I let my kids and everybody drive my riding lawnmower, and they hit the sprinkler heads and break them. Do you think they're out there with me replacing these things? Nope. I'm the only one out there. So they break them off in the, the part, the pipe that screws into the pipe that's part of the sprinkler system underground, it breaks off and you have to get it out. And so I was out there hacksawing, trying to use screwdrivers, use scissors, knives, cutting it to pull the rest of the pipe out. Then I thought, ding, 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 ding. This is after, this is after weeks of fixing stuff, maybe even longer fixing this stuff like this. I think... Maybe someone thought of a way to get this pipe out. And I discovered, I don't know what it's called, but I discovered this tool that just fits in it and you just rip, 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 it comes right out. And I'm thinking, what was an obstacle? Someone, everybody else saw it as a problem. Like, golly, this is a, this is a pain to get this pipe out of here. Someone else saw it as an opportunity. I'm always amazed who invented the fingernail clippers. Everybody else just used a knife or scissors or whatever they were using before. I, didn't, I wasn't alive when, they weren't, when there wasn't fingernail clippers. 
So I don't know what people used a long time ago, but someone thought, hey, I'm not just going to go along with the status quo and keep doing this the way we always have done it. I'm actually going to solve this problem. And so everybody views these problems differently, and those who view them as an opportunity, those are the ones that succeed. And to the seven churches in Revelations, which we know seven is the number of completion. So this is, this is to all the churches for all time, everywhere, every generation. He ends it with those who overcome. Those who overcome. Seven times. Those who overcome. And overcoming, a lot of times, has to do with your perception of the problem that you're facing has to do with how you perceive the problem. That's the first thing. How do we look at it? How do we, how do we take it on? How do we face it? In a position of need, it allows us, when we're in a position of need, it allows us to, to trust God, to, to see God move. But a lot of times we just will gripe and complain or, or just have the status quo mentality. God wants us to have a different perception of problems that we face. Go with me to James chapter one. This is amazing. It doesn't sound right to me. All of my emotions and my thought process says, this can't be true, Lord. This can't be right. But this is what he says in James chapter one. He says this. My fellow believers, so that's all time, all believers, uh, everywhere, forever. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, nothing but obstacles, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. I remember the first time I read this, I went, like, that can't be, that. surely he didn't say that. Because what I saw it as an opportunity to do was get mad. To gripe, to complain, to get frustrated. To say, God, I can't believe it. I'm serving you and here we go. We got this issue and that problem and, and this thing and man. And that's how most people see it. Well, let's read it again. He said, as though you were facing nothing but difficulty, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. He doesn't say that we rejoice or have joy for the problem. He's saying we have joy in the problem. Why? He, he, he answers his own question. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up in you the power of endurance. Endurance is a very powerful thing. The Bible teaches us that through faith and patience, faith and endurance, we inherit all the promises of God. There, there is such a limitation on believers that can operate in faith for just a short period of time. You're always gonna get small results. Let me say it again, you're gonna get small results when you can't last, when you don't have the power of endurance to last, to outlast the problem, to trust God for long periods of time. There's been so many people that we see in the Bible that had to trust God for long periods of time. Moses was 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years, he was out of the palace in the wilderness for 40 years. He developed such great endurance. That's why he can endure the griping and complaining of those people. That's why he could overcome obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. 
Because he learned the power of endurance. The power of waiting on God. There's three things when we face obstacles we're going to have to learn. One, number one is to trust God. Number two is to wait on God, to let him develop the power of endurance in us. And number three, to keep on walking, to keep on moving. Don't stop living Keep on living, keep on moving, keep on getting up, going to work, uh, taking care of your family, paying your bills. you got to keep on walking. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say I walk and squat, walk and stop. He said I walk through. We used to sing an old song back at Faith Christian in Clovis. Pastor Steve knows it because we used to sing it at the men's events. I'm walking through, I'm walking through, I'm walking through. And it was about that verse that we're walking through. We're going to keep walking through these problems. We're going to walk through the valleys, trusting God. Why does he say he walks through? And I, He said, I will fear no evil, for God is with me. So we trust him. We walk. And he, he, there's a waiting period. There's a, there's a type of endurance that it takes to just keep moving. When I walked for 40 days, guys, it took, there was times I needed endurance, man. When we were up at 11,000 feet, I, I, I mean, I, guys, I would walk uh, in snowshoes for a, a certain period of time, and we'd go to, from 11 to 11.2 to 11.5. I mean, to take a drink of water, I'd take a drink of water. I had to stop and catch my breath. I'd take a drink of water. You know, you hold your breath when you're drinking water, and then I'd, I'd stop. And I had, to, I had to stop, catch my breath, and just keep on pushing. Keep on trudging through the snow, trudging up the mountains. There's a power in endurance and just keep on walking one step at a time. When my feet swelled up, my hands got so big, they swelled up like sausages, my fingers. My whole hands were swollen because I didn't know, but I learned because I Googled it with my, with my big fat fingers. I, I Google like, why would your hands swell up while you're walking? And I found out if you keep your hands down below your heart for long periods of time, uh, the, the blood will stop pumping down through there, and your hands will just swell up. And so, man, after that, I'd walk down the road. I look like a crazy person. I'm going, ah. And they're like, God, that guy's nuts. Man. No wonder he's got a somebody pray shirt on. He's, he's wiggling his hands, and he needs prayer. Casting demons out of the something, He's just, you know. And so, but, but I, I learned these things, and I learned, you know, I didn't stop. I didn't quit. I had blisters on my feet. I didn't quit. I just got up and walked the next day. There's power in endurance. And after a while, I kind of figured out the formula. My body adjusted, and then I could just go. I could just truck. Towards the end, I could go 20 miles. I could go, I mean, I could just, I started moving. And we were in, at the end, we were in big hills and big valleys. And, man, I, we could just go. We could just go. Because we built endurance. And those who build endurance, who trust, wait, and keep on walking, and, and allow God to build endurance in you, and see, listen, this goes in a sequence. Until you get to a place when you face these obstacles, you face these situations, that you can look to God and say, God, I'm not rejoicing that I'm, in the, I'm facing this problem, but I'm rejoicing that you're, you're the fourth man in the fire with me. I'm rejoicing you're here. 
I'm rejoicing that you're not, you haven't forsaken me. You never leave me or abandon me. I'm rejoicing that I, I can trust you in this moment that you're with me. That you never leave me. You never forsake me. And I don't have to feel it. I know it. Amen? I know it because you said it. I know it because you promised that you'd be here with me. And so when you, when you begin to trust him like that, you can count it as joy because what you can begin to pray is, and this is, this is the problem sometimes. We pray to get out of the problem and we focus on praying to get out of the problem so much that we don't a lot of times get out of the problem because our prayer needs to be, God, teach me what you want to teach me in this situation. He'll deliver us out of the problem when we learn the lesson. When we learn the lesson, we get out of the problem. So we need to start focusing on, God, teach me the power of endurance. Teach me how to overcome this situation. Teach me where I need to grow. Because we grow the greatest when we're in tough situations. We all know that. Benjamin Franklin says, growth comes through pain. He knew it back then. We know it now that no pain, no gain. Right? And we need to take that on. Whether you put yourself in that position, if you put yourself in a position where there's obstacles, there's issues, you're in the wilderness, man, guys, there's only one way out of that and only one way, and that's repentance. But a lot of times, God will lead us into those situations. When Moses, when they left the Red Sea with the children of Israel, this is so interesting, that Moses leads the people to the wilderness of Shur, S-H-U-R. He leads them to the wilderness. Who's leading Moses? God. So God is leading Moses to lead the people into the wilderness. I think it's interesting that Moses goes into the wilderness, comes out, delivers the people, and then he leads the people to the wilderness. Moses has already passed the test of the wilderness. The people have it. Then Jesus, our Redeemer, our Deliverer, first thing he does she goes to 40 days in the wilderness. Everybody's going to have those experiences. In Moses' case, in Jesus' case, they were led by the Holy Spirit into this dry place, this wilderness experience, this test, this trial, these obstacles. A lot of times we put ourselves there, but if you repent, repentance means to change. You have to go ask God for mercy, and God's so full of mercy, he'll grant it. If it's from the heart, and you're really, you're really, really willing to change, to make a change. Say, okay, God, I repented. I'm I know what I did to get here. I'm willing to change it. He will teach you, grow you, just like he will in any other situation like that, and he'll deliver you. But you gotta be willing to change. But when God leads us into those situations, which he did with Moses, which he did with Jesus, we've gotta learn whether we put ourselves there or God leads us there. We need to learn to count it all joy because God is going to teach us something. God's going to grow us. We're going to come out better, not worse. But that all comes down to what we talked about earlier right here, what's in your heart. God, teach me. Grow me. I know you'll lead me out every time you led people out. Every time in the Bible, when they repented or they, they grew, they learned the lesson they're supposed to learn, you led them right out of the problem. You led them right through the obstacle. So God, teach me, show me, teach me the power of endurance. Then he says this, and then as your endurance grows, 
even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking in your life. So there's a, there's a pattern. He didn't just say this here. He says this in other places. When you face persecution, you know, uh, ha have a joy about you because he's going to build endurance, and endurance builds character, and character builds hope. And you become not an optimistic person. You become a person that trusts God no matter what. That's the difference between optimism is based on man's ability. Hope is based on God's ability. It's not self-sufficient. Satan said to Eve, you'll be self-sufficient if you, if, you, if you rebel against God you'll be, and not trust him, you'll be self-sufficient. That's a lie. That's how the world thinks. We're to be dependent upon God. That's where hope, true hope comes from. That's where faith comes from, is our dependency on God. So when we're going through these situations, we, we need to begin to perceive these obstacles as an opportunity to grow. It's hard to do. It's hard not to gripe and complain or be hurt or be frustrated. It's hard not to, to be angry at it like, golly, I can't believe I'm going through this. It's hard, it's hard not to do that. It's hard not for some people not to run away. Some people run away from every obstacle. They just run, they've learned, it's, a, it's that term I said, learned helplessness. They've learned that they can't overcome. They can't, they can't, they can't, they can't, they can't. And now they're just helpless. That's what the world is counting on. That's the message of the world right now. We're all victims. If we would just realize it, then we'd yield all of our freedoms and all of our trust in God, and we just trust government officials and those in power over us. Because we're all helpless to change, helpless to change the situation, helpless to help others. We're just, we're helpless all victims of our circumstances. I'm a, I'm a victim of my whiteness. It's clouded my memory. It's clouded my life. It's clouded my prejudice. It's clouded, you know, you're a victim of this. You're a victim of that. You're a victim of another thing. Everybody's a victim. And everybody's helpless to change, helpless to do anything. Do you understand that Satan's playing a psychological game on our children and on us? To become victims, and when you're a victim, then you're helpless. And you need a, you need a savior, and it's not Jesus they point to. It's them they point to. Somehow they've figured it out. Their lives are a wreck personally, but they've got it all figured out. It's a lie. We need to change our perception of obstacles and change our perception of, of, of things that are hard and things that are difficult. And we don't pray for them in our life, but when we face them, and we all will, we need to pray, God, teach me, grow me. I'm going to get past this. I'm going to go right through it because you are with me. Because you'll help me. That in my weakness, you're strong. In my weakness, he's strong. We don't get weaker trusting God. We get stronger trusting God. Why? Because he's G-O-D. He's God. He can do anything. Nothing's impossible to him. It's not weak to trust God the way the world says it's weak. It's when we really become strong. That's why, that's why Paul wrote, in my weakness... I am strong because God, because what I'm doing now is I'm saying I'm not self-sufficient. I'm dependent on God. And when you lean on God and trust God, my goodness, you unleash the power of heaven to your circumstance and your situation.
But God wants us to grow. He wants us to learn. He wants us to overcome. He doesn't want us to shrink back. He doesn't want us to run away. He doesn't want us to say, well, this is how it's always been. This is how it's always going to be. He wants us to lean in and trust him and trust his word. There's one other, one other thing we need to do besides changing our perception of problems and start to see them as opportunities instead of obstacles to stop us. There's another, there's another step we have to take, and that step's called accountability. Four steps to accountability. Number one, we need to own it. Don't wait for others to take responsibility. You take it. You own the situation, own the problem. Don't look for others to bail you out, dig you out. I know so many people, man, it's good to run to people for prayer, but God loves the prayer of agreement. Let me, let me, let me just say, he loves the prayer of agreement. Where two or more are gathered in my name and they agree. What happens is a lot of people, they want me to pray or their mama to pray or someone else they see spiritually strong to pray, which is good. But they don't want the prayer of agreement. They want them to pray them out of their situation. A lot of times when people are in problems, I'll say, what are you, what are you in faith over? Well, I'd like to see this. No, that's not what I asked you. What you'd like to see. What are you in faith? What, are you, what do you, at your level of faith right now, what can you, what can you believe God to do right now? Well, I, I can believe him that the surgery will be successful. I'll believe him that that, uh, you know, my, my landlord will lower my rent or give me some mercy or whatever. I'll say, okay, I'll agree with you on that. I'll agree where you're at. I'll agree where you're at. I remember I prayed for my father one time when he first was diagnosed with cancer. And I said, I said Dad, because <laughs> my dad was an atheist, for the, an agnostic for the longest time. He believed there was a God. He didn't know who it was. And, and I said, Dad... What, what are you believing for? He said, this is what I believe. This is what he said. He said, I believe that you and uh, Mama and my, my other son, Steve, and my, my fa- you're, you're Christians, and I'll agree with whatever you pray. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. There was power in that prayer. He got in agreement with what we pray. I mean, he got in agreement. He said, I have faith in what you pray. Go ahead and pray it. I have faith in it. He got, here's a guy who was so far from God, but he got an agreement with God's word, and he lived another seven years when they told him he had 30 days. He lived another seven years, went back to his routines. I mean, got back on his feet. He wasn't supposed to live 30 days. There's power in owning your circumstances, owning your situations, and taking accountability. Number two, you have to take action. You have to actually write down things and take some action steps to move forward. You have to actually have a goal. You have to actually have a plan to work your way through circumstances. And as a Christian, we have a prayed out plan. Number, the third part of accountability is don't try, do. I, could, I don't like it when people say oh, they'll try it. I'll, I'll try. I, I, it's an immediate it's coach. When a player says, I'll try, you know. What is that? That's an excuse to fail. Like, I'll, I'll try. I mean, I'm like, you get out of the game. I want someone who will do. Anybody will do something? I'll do something, coach. Okay, you get in the game. Because you'll at least do something. 
When you people say, I'll try, that's a built-in excuse to fail. When you take accountability for the circumstances and the situations with God, you say, God, I'm taking accountability. I'm not going to try. I'm going to do. I'm going to do everything you tell me to do. I'm going to obey your word. I'm going to do everything. You tell me to trust. You tell me to build endurance. You tell me to keep on walking, keep on moving. God, I'm not going to try it. I'm going to do it. I didn't try to walk 40 days. I did it. You don't try to do those things. You do them. Last thing, you got to make accountability a habit. Listen, I want to encourage you parents. I, I learned this lesson the hard way with my children. They would say, Dad, can we get ice cream tomorrow? And I'd say, yes, we'll get ice cream tomorrow. Will you promise? I promise. I'd come dragging in the house at 9 o'clock at night. It's late. I'm, I'm tired. I've been working 12, 14 hours. I'm, I'm tired. And it's time for my kids to be in bed. And they're about to go to bed. And then they look at me and go, Dad, you promised you'd get us ice cream today. And I'm like, oh, anybody ever done this? Like, oh, no, I did. And then you have to either renegotiate the deal or you get them up in their pajamas and take them and get them ice cream. You have to, you have to double down. Like, okay, if you'll let me off the hook of that promise. You know, when I make a promise, the only one that can release me is the person I promised. So I would tell him, if you'll let me off the hook of that promise, tomorrow I'll get you double the ice cream or I'll get you ice cream in this. And a lot of times they'd say, oh, Dad, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, oh, golly, get up. And so what I learned is, guys, I don't make, I don't use that word promise I learned with them, I'd say, I, I'm telling you, if I come home in a decent hour and, and, I, and I'm not too tired, I will take you. But I'm not promising nothing because I'm not leaving the house with you in your pajamas and me out at 930 night trying to find ice cream. So you have to take accountability, guys, for your promises. In giving your word, you have, to, you have to learn, you have to practice keeping your word in doing what you say you will do. When you take, when you perceive problems differently and you take accountability for those, those situations, for your own actions, guys, God will lead you right through the obstacle, right over it, through it, around it. He'll take you right on through. And you will be what the Bible calls an overcomer. You'll be what the Bible calls more than a, you won't just be a conqueror. You'll be more than a conqueror. You'll be empowered by endurance. You'll be empowered by hope. You'll be empowered by faith. You'll be empowered by, by the experiences you have of overcoming that each one you achieve will empower you to believe God more and take bigger steps. But let me tell you about big steps. With big steps and big dreams and big open doors that Paul talked about, comes big obstacles, big responsibility. So just know, just know that's what it comes with. But if you'll take the small steps, if you'll take the small steps, God will train you how to take the big steps. If you'll beat the little obstacles, he'll train you how to beat the big obstacles. Same principles apply. Amen? Listen, with every eye closed, whether you're online, thank you for joining us, by the way, or you're here in this room, 
and you're listening tonight. We don't face obstacles alone. We don't face dry seasons, wilderness experiences. We don't face problems, difficulties, trials, tests, whatever you want to call it. As Christians, our Father, our Father who's in heaven, whose name is hallowed, is holy, magnificent, powerful, almighty, is with us. If you're facing life's difficulties and problems on your own, it's just a matter of time before you fail. We even see people who rise to great levels of success. Matthew Perry, my heart goes out to his family, but more so to Matthew. Matthew Perry was making $20 million a year. $20 million a year off of reruns of Friends. He died from an overdose in his hot tub. Some medication or drug could have been a medication he was taking for depression or it could be a recreational drug what was in his system. Died in his hot tub. See, Satan in the world, you, if you push hard enough, you sell your soul out to it. That, that you can get success. What the world says is successful. You can get money. Sometimes you can get fame. Sometimes you get power. Most people don't, though. There's very few that push through or what they call a lucky break. They get a break and they get to that place. But even those who get there, they get to a place where they face obstacles they cannot overcome by themselves. There's no self-help book, no Timothy Robbins uh, optimistic uh, uh, perception that's going to get them through. Only God can get you through. And if you're facing one of those moments and you don't know him as God, you don't know him as Lord, you know and I know you're not going to make it through it. You may be tried many times and maybe you're at a place of learned helplessness like, golly, I'm helpless to this drug. I'm helpless to this situation. I just keep falling, falling, falling. And you're being victimized by the obstacle. I'll tell you this. The answer is and always will be surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That will always be the answer. That will always be the answer to every obstacle, every problem, every wilderness experience, every difficult situation, every health issue, every situation will be to surrender to Jesus. So if you've never done that, you've never said, listen, my life is not my own anymore because this isn't just a prayer of get out of jail, free card, or deliver me from this problem or issue. God sees past all that. He looks into your heart like, what do you really want? And the only way to have a real relationship with Jesus where he says, I, knew, I know you, is if you surrender to his lordship, he has to be Lord. You have to know him as Lord, and he has to know you as his servant. 
his brother, his sister. He has to know you as family. He has to know you as his warrior, as his friend. It all begins with one simple prayer. That relationship. He loves you. Jesus surrendered his whole life for you. Now he's asking you to do the same thing. Surrender your life for him. He will save you, forgive you, and help you from this day onward. If you'll mean it from the heart. If you'll be sincere. If you'll be honest with him. And so if you've never prayed that online or in this room, we want to pray with you right now. Or maybe you've prayed it. Maybe you've prayed before, but for whatever reason, you've walked away from him, ran away from him, gone away. Let me tell you something. You know and I know that he's never walked away from you. And he desires, he looks daily, he looks daily for you to come home. So whether it's your first time or your next time, you need to pray and get this right with God tonight. Online, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to message us saying, I prayed for the first time. I prayed for the next time. In this room, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to boldly raise your hand and say, it's me. I, I need to pray and get this right tonight, right now. And then after that, we're all going to pray together. That's the two steps. That's as easy as it can possibly be. God doesn't make it difficult to reach him. He's right here, right now. So here we go. One, two, three. Send the message online. Raise your hand in this room. Raise it up high and say it's me. Thank you. Raise it up high. Come on. Thank you. 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 Wow. So many hands. Thank you in the back. Thank you all over. That's awesome. Well, let's pray. Let's pray with those online. Let's pray with those right here, right now. Let's all pray this together. Say this with me. Say, God, I believe you are God and God alone. And that you love me. You love us. And you sent Jesus to die for our sins on a cross. You raised him from the dead. <clears throat> and he's alive right now. I believe it. And because I do, I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. And I say to you, Jesus, you are the Lord, Jesus Christ, of my life. You surrender to save me. I surrender my life to you to be saved. And I thank you now. I'm forgiven of my sins. And I receive the Holy Spirit to live inside of me, to teach me, to guide me, to counsel me how to live life and life to the full. What you came to give me as I serve and live for you. Thank you for saving my life. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate the goodness of God. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.